Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about wheat seed treatments. But if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. You can sure give us a call at any point throughout the show. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. You can also find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, let's do it right away. Get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, lots of lots of questions coming up. And if you've got a question, as Brian mentioned before, you can call us 844-44-AG-PHD or email us radio at agphd.com. First one comes from MK who says, is tempo safe to spray on flowers and bushes to get rid of the pests that are eating them? Is there a certain formulation that you would use or concentration that you would spray? Okay, so what we always have to tell you is follow the label. And for the most part, if you look on the Tempo label, you will probably find that a lot of those things are approved. Tempo is labeled to spray in and around your house, around your yard. It is basically the same thing as Bathroid, by the way, that is an insecticide that that corn and soybean farmers will commonly use. It's just a pyrethroid. It comes from the chrysanthemum flower. So it is much, much, much safer than the insecticides we used to have in the old days. So we really, really like that. As I say that, though, we always encourage you wear your personal protective equipment because some people are allergic to flowers. Okay, so there will be a few people with the pyrethroids who will maybe get a little rash or something like that. But anyway, it's quite safe. And yes, Tempo is a very effective insecticide against a number of different pests. Oh, by the way, Darren, I will say this. So last night I was out walking in our trees around my house and just solid fireflies. I love fireflies. So while I love to spray and control insects like grasshoppers, crickets, ticks, spiders, things I, I I hate having around my house. I am careful about where I'm spraying because I want to leave the fireflies. Well, the other thing is pollinators. If you've got, like you mentioned, flowers and plants around yep. the house, if they're in bloom, that's not the time to spray. So right. you want to spray right. before they're in bloom or after they're done blooming. And what's really interesting is talking to a lot of farmers that have beehives that are on their farm or right around their farm and right across the fence there'll be a crop that's blooming they'll say no problem i don't spray that crop but i can spray on this side of the fence and i don't really see any issues with my beehives i'm like that's really interesting and if you talk to beekeepers they'll they'll say that's a real key just look at your crop see where you're at make sure it's not flowering and if it is flowering then be really careful you don't have any drift that gets over there or anything else so anyway i just caution you on that too just try and get it done when the the plants aren't flowering yep all right got one from uh, andrew i'm sorry andrew here in north dakota and he said i've got two years worth of weekly tissue tests and bi-weekly soil nitrate boron and sulfur tests that's really cool andrew he said i'm wondering if you guys have any tips for charting them or know of any software where i could just enter data so it'd be easier for me to see trends compared to paging through many pages worth of test results well certainly having it all on paper does make it pretty tricky andrew and i agree with you i'd i would want to get that digital so you can sort it and look at it in different ways 
Uh, I know Brian's a big fan of Excel, and he's got a lot of Excel spreadsheets. And some of the charts you'll see, like at our Ag PhD workshops, will have entered our tissue tests into Excel and then uh, allowed you know the trends to kind of just develop that way. And even the the software and many of these spreadsheet programs like Excel will actually chart trends for you to some degree. But you can certainly use your agronomic wisdom and try and figure out, oh, okay, well here's here's when it rained, here's when I applied stuff and I see my levels varying within the plant. So to me, I'd, I would want to get all those tests digital rather than just have paper copies because paper is just hard to shuffle through. Yeah. So we use Excel. That's what we use. All right. Thanks for the question. Appreciate that. Uh, got one from Matthew here in Kansas. He said, here we are with another growing season and more questions, of course. The questions today involve the foliar application of copper. I've attended some of your seminars. The topic of copper applications have been covered, limited. I, I'm kind of curious, the benefits of the plant nutritionally and additionally as a disease preventer, you discussed those, but the numbers side of the nutrient weren't really discussed in details. In my notes, you mentioned commonly a five pound per acre application of 23% copper sulfate and its ability to raise a soil test up to three parts per million. I didn't know if above five pounds per acre was, was potentially toxic or uh, as if Darren commonly mentions, you can subscribe to Brian's more on method and put methods above five pounds and see benefit. If you can apply more than five, what is your limit? Also in foliar applications, is that 23% copper the best to use or is there something else more efficient? Okay. Wow. That was a lot of questions. Let's start with the most obvious one. Putting five pounds of copper sulfate out there is not going to raise your level three parts per million. Not even close. Because if you say, all right, what is copper sulfate, Darren, off the top of my head? I don't remember. Roughly sure. a third uh, active for copper. So uh, anyway, so at best, you're putting out, if I take five divided by three, what is that, 1.67 uh, pounds. Okay, so you have to divide that number by two to give you parts per million. So the very most you could possibly raise your parts per million would be roughly 0.8 or 0.9 parts per million with a five pound of copper sulfate application. Uh, and that's optimistic. So I, that's the first thing. Secondly, in terms of what is the right rate, it all depends on what your soil test is. I would say this, you can put quite a bit out on the soil if you want to, as long as you're not overdoing something um, in other words, getting things way out of whack. Oh, yeah, sorry, I was wrong. Copper sulfate's 25% copper. So that'd be a pound and a quarter. Divide that by 2.6 parts per million. That's as good as you can do raising that level. Anyway, my, my point here is foliar. You got to be really careful. Copper, yes, it can be used as a bactericide and a fungicide a little bit. But boy, if you overdo copper, you could really fry your crop. You could kill it even. So be very careful what you're doing. Foliar, you can definitely put more on the soil, though, without too many concerns, as long as you're not getting things out of balance. Well, we'll be right back after this. from Atticus LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. I've got an axe to grind. I hate bromes. Brome grasses can be brutal on winter wheat yields. If you really want to give winter wheat a fighting chance, be brutal right back with Prepare Burn Down Herbicide. Adding Prepare to your glyphosate extends brome control for up to 21 days, giving young wheat the weed-free head start it needs to make something of itself. Because the cleaner the field, the higher the yield. Talk to your retailer or visit preparewinterwheat.com and always read and follow label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about wheat seed treatments, and we've got a lot of growers that are sending in questions to us about their game plan for wheat coming up here for the fall seeding. So we thought we'd get ahead of this just a little bit, talk about some of the important components. And absolutely, this year in 2020, just like we did in 2019, we saw some big differences with seed treatments on wheat versus untreated wheat. Uh, In fact, some of the pictures that we were sent here, it's just surprising. You can't even hardly believe the difference that it was making. And I get it. Seed treatments don't always make this monster difference, but sometimes they do. And this is one of those years where you could see some of those things. We've got Jason Snell on with us right now with Syngenta over in Minnesota. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. All right. So talk to us a little bit about wheat seed treatments. I know there's a number of things that are really important components for growers to think about. And and also uh, coming out of 2020, are you expecting this market to be pretty brisk this fall where growers saw some differences like I was talking about earlier? Yeah, I I completely agree. We've seen some huge differences and a lot of uh, beneficial results uh, from the cereal seed treatments this year. And going into the into this fall uh, seeding season with the winter wheat, I expect uh, you know 2020 has been a kind of a high pressure year overall so far. I expect that to carry on right through the fall, uh, just given some of the weather patterns we've been seeing. So uh, really protecting that seed um, from top to bottom and getting the the best foot out of the ground, uh, get the seed going right away with a really solid seed treatment, uh, like Cruiser Max Vibrant cereals with Cruiser in it, or uh, Vibrant Extreme cereals uh, with just a straight fungicide package uh, going into fall is going to be very beneficial. You know, you mentioned the cruiser, and certainly that insecticide has been really critical with wireworms and some of the other problem pests that we've seen this year. What did you note with that? What are growers doing with rates and, and some of the dealers that you're working with? Are they adjusting the rates on cruiser or, or boosting things up in heavy pressure situations? Yeah, absolutely. So we've seen, we have a really nice base rate of cruiser in with our Cruiser Max Vibrant cereals. Uh, 
base seed treatment. Uh, and we have the option under very heavy wireworm pressure, we can bump that up. Um, up to a full ounce uh, additional per hundred weight of seed, which really gives you really nice control, not only over wireworm, but also uh, some of those uh, hessian flies and some aphids that may come in. Um, maybe more of a problem in spring wheat acres, but also can be uh, can be around in those winter wheat acres when they're when they're getting started. Hey, the other thing that you mentioned is the vibrance component, and you mentioned that in a couple different seed treatments that growers are really looking for that. Can you talk to us about vibrance just a little bit? What what are you seeing for, or what, what mode of action, first of all, and then what are you seeing for a difference versus just some of the standard fungicides we've been using for years? Yeah, so vibrance was a, one of the first fungicides that we found that we developed completely from the ground up as a seed treatment uh, component. So it's very low use rate, very high efficacy at those low use rates. And their main target with vibrance is uh, rhizoctonia. And rhizoctonia basically exists in, in any soil that we're growing crops in to one extent or another. And we see a really nice benefit with extreme uh, or ex increased rooting power as well as really strong uh, rhizoctonia control in those early seedlings. You know, vibrance. we talk to a lot of wheat growers that say, oh, I don't know if I'm worried about disease, but like you mentioned, Rhizoc is out there. And in some cases, it can be really bad if the conditions are right and you've got a susceptible host, which let's face it, wheat is. So talk to us about Rhizoc a little bit. What have you seen this year? Have there been some hot pockets out there of, of Rhizoc? Yeah, there has been hot pockets, and they've, they've maybe not even in the traditional areas where we've seen it in the past. Um, some of those areas have been strong uh, for rhizoc pressure, but there's been hot pockets, even stronger pressure in areas that haven't always shown that. So that really that consistent control of a, of a vibrance in your seed treatment package is going to really give you a nice blanket of protection across all those acres. And even in the absence of disease, we've seen really nice rooting power. Uh, we kind of found that early in our testing with vibrance that the increases the root mass um, and it's a different component that's sometimes hard to see in a wheat stand, but we have some really nice uh, rhizotrons, we call them, which are basically slats of, of soil with, with seedlings growing in them, and you can get a visible um, look at what's actually going on below the ground. And when we see vibrance in that package versus either untreated or some competitive seed treatments, we see a really nice increase in root mass uh, leading to, you know, long-term season, season-long control of extra pressures, with drought pressure, any of those disease pressures that may affect um, those roots. Yeah, it does make a big difference. And uh, we're speaking with Jason Snell here with Syngenta. There are some complete packages out there that you can put on your wheat. They're not tremendously expensive, but in 2020, we saw some pretty nice gains again. Jason, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. You too. Got Steve Silfer with us right now with Valent. Steve, uh, what are you seeing out there in 2020 with wheat seed treatments? Are you you noticing certain diseases kind of hitting the untreated acre? Uh, yeah, I've uh, looked like it out there this year. Looks like we're seeing uh, a fair amount of rhizoctonia again this year. Always seeing uh, a fair amount of pythium uh, early on, and so uh, yeah, it's a pretty active year for diseases. All right. Uh, talk to us about some of the things that you're working on at Valent. I know you've got a number of different things in the seed treatment field here that, that growers should be aware of. Yeah, for wheat, we've got uh, well, about three different options right now. We've got our uh, Nipset Sweet Cereals, which is uh, our clothionidin. It's got the metal axle and the metconazole uh, for the rhizoctonia. It uh, does a really nice job. Of course, it has the uh, clothionidin in there for the insecticide that uh, does a really nice job against uh, wireworms and, and some of the other bugs that are out there. 
We also have what we're moving to is the Intego sweet cereals, which includes the same uh, components as the Nipset sweet cereals has with the clothionidin, metalaxyl, and metconazole, but also includes ethoboxum, which is an excellent pythium product, which works with the metalaxyl to kind of tackle those uh, strains of pythium that are showing resistance out there in the field. Yeah, that's been a big deal. We did see a lot of Pythium this year, and I know uh, Brian and I have been on this too, that there are a couple of different products. The, the Metal Axle's been out for a long, long time, and, and it's been really good. In most cases, it's still doing a pretty decent job. But like you mentioned, Death of Boxum, how is that different than, than Metal Axle, and why is it able to pick up some of those other strains that, that the Metal Axle isn't getting anymore? Well, one thing the Ethoboxum does is it, it stays down in the root zone where it should. And so it, it keeps that protection of those roots going on for, for several weeks where the metal axle tends to translocate through the plants and dissipate uh, through the season and, and tends to end uh, rather quickly. The, also, the other thing that the ethoboxin does is it, it almost works, you know, in, in conjunction with metal axle, and it's really good on the pythium species that, are, that the metal axle is weak on and vice versa where metal axle is strong the ethoboxum isn't quite as strong, so they really work together as a, as a companion. Yeah, I sure like having two modes of action, and we talk about it so much. We just had Jason Snell on with Syngenta. I think about every time we've talked to Jason, he's talked about multiple modes of action on these weeds that we're after, but it's really the same kind of thing on disease, too. Oh, absolutely. Whenever you can get two modes of action working on the same disease, that's, that's always definitely the way to go, and as we've seen in the metal axle, if you once you use the same chemistry and the same mode of action for 35, 40 years like we have in, with, with metal axle, you start to see that resistance show up. And so, it, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's a great tool, but we need to switch to something else or, or do something to work with it so that we can keep that protection going. You know, there's a lot of things going on coming out of this year's small grains crop, and I know last year a lot of the growers up in North Dakota really had a struggle getting crop out. What are you hearing as as crops coming off the fields this year? So far, I think the the weather is good. I was just up there last week. The the weather's been cooperating for them. I know they had some troubles getting some of the wheat in, but uh, right now I think they're looking forward to a pretty good crop, and... uh, yeah, from what everybody was saying, I think they're expecting good things. That's that's good news. That's good news. We've been talking to Steve Sofer here with Valent. Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. All right, thank you. Talking about wheat seed treatments on our show today and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Brian, we talked about multiple modes of action. I think we've seen the seed treatment industry heading that direction with several fungicides in a lot of these packages. Yeah, in part because there are so many options now. We have a lot of great newer fungicides. We also have a lot of fungicides that are off-patent and very inexpensive, so it's easy to combine some of those along with some of the newer ones and not break the bank. So, yes, very exciting moving forward. Yeah, also we talked a little bit about varying rates on things like the insecticide component. We'll get into more of that talk about some of those harmful bugs coming up right after this. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. 
There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The Laser. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. I've got an axe to grind. I hate bromes. Brome grasses can be brutal on winter wheat yields. If you really want to give winter wheat a fighting chance, be brutal right back with Prepare Burn Down Herbicide. Adding Prepare to your glyphosate extends brome control for up to 21 days, giving young wheat the weed-free head start it needs to make something of itself. Because the cleaner the field, the higher the yield. Talk to your retailer or visit preparewinterwheat.com and always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about wheat seed treatments, and we're getting so many questions about this because there have been a number of challenges the last couple of years, especially in many of the wheat growing areas with disease control. And I know we've kind of hit on rhizoctonia and pythium a little bit and some of the different things going on there in the seed treatment industry that have really been helping. But the one that, that I've probably gotten more emails about has been wireworm damage. And oh my goodness, some areas the pressure is so heavy and we we're using a lot of neonics. Uh, we talked a little bit about increasing the rates on neonics. They're still a really useful chemistry, but kind of some exciting stuff coming out uh, with new chemistries that should be on the market fairly soon. Real happy to have Rahia Deardal Young on with us right now with BASF. Uh, Rahia, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. 
All right, talk to us a little bit about Taraxa, and I don't know how much is out there. I know there's a little bit that's been out, and and already some farmers starting to to catch the buzz on this one. That hey, this this could be coming soon. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the chemistry and what's different? Absolutely. Um, I think you did a really nice intro there. Uh, the current market standard is a neonicotinoid. And the big difference between the new chemistry that's coming in Taraxa is this is a brand new mode of action. What neonicotinoids do, and they're very useful insecticides, as you said, but in a wireworm context, they only briefly repel the wireworms, they stay in the field, and their populations build up year after year. So coming in spring 2021, BASF is bringing Taraxa and Taraxa F4 to the market, and this is a game changer because it actually kills wireworms. Very small amount um, induces irreversible mortality and knocks back our resident populations of these wireworms. So it's going to be a very powerful tool for our growers starting in spring 2021. All right. I look at a lot of the practices that farmers are adopting, and many of these have some really great positive sides, like reduced tillage. That's been widely used around the country. We've seen some really nice gains in moisture conservation, soil erosion conservation, those kinds of things. Kind of the same thing with cover crops. Seen a lot more guys using cover crops. Many just rave about some of the differences they're seeing in their field. But when we're doing those practices, we're also leaving that home for something like wireworms undisturbed and we're seeing some more pressure in some of these areas that seems to be one of the downsides of, of some of those different practices so when we look at a product like taraxa is this something that that you're looking at broadly labeling versus over a number of different crops or is it specifically a cereal product so taraxa is a brand new ai for us um, and our uh, first is going to be in cereals and small grains so we'll have small grains, barley, um, you mentioned cut it, cover crops, and rye and triticale are also on that initial um, label. Uh, but really the, the thing that makes this such a game changer is, um, is really that effect of mortality on wireworms. So when we're in those tight cereal on cereal rotations or in the Dakotas a lot, I know there could be um, winter wheat, spring wheat, uh, and then corn. So it really is leaving, um, you know, the rotation really does allow for those wireworms to build up and build up. And uh, without Taraxa on the market, we really have just been holding the line on those populations with neonicotinoids. Question for you then, when we're looking at wireworm damage, there's, there's, I know a number of growers out there are probably listening today, and, may, and maybe you're one of them thinking, I don't know what wireworm damage even looks like in my field. Can you talk about that bug a little bit and what you're going to see on the crop? Absolutely. Great question. So wireworms are the larval stage of the adult click beetle. And what happens is that click beetle will come into a field, will lay eggs, and what you have built up is a resident population of wireworms. So this larval stage can last between five and seven years. So in the springtime, uh, when we plant the wheat crop, the soil temperature comes up and that germinating wheat seedling actually calls the resident population up out of the soil. So they come up and initially they'll feed on the wheat seed, they'll feed on that um, germinating seedlings, and they'll do damage. The damage you'll see early season is really poor stand established 
So some of our most weedy, highest weed pressure acres are really bad wireworm acres because without that stand established, you have no competition for the weeds. So initially early stand establishment. Later on in the season, the wireworms will continue to feed, and they really like the growing point of the wheat because it's a high-protein spot. So when the wheat is tillering, the wireworms will come and hit those tillers, and you can see dieback of those later stage tillers. So all this damage to the wheat throughout the season with wireworms, later on when we're heading out and we're finally starting to, to dry down and get ready to harvest, you can see inconsistent maturity of the crop. Yeah, I've noticed a number of fields this year that have got problems. We've got stunting we saw in some fields and, gosh, even mm-hmm. some that we can see spots out in the field that are wilting. A lot of growers will just say, oh, it must be drought or something like that. But when you dig, you, you flip over the, the plants and the root system and you just find these wireworms. I, growing up, uh, Rahia, we always thought this is something that we're just going to see early in the year. But like you mentioned, this is a five to seven year larval stage. So they're not mm-hmm. going away anytime soon if we don't do something about it yeah i was i uh, reached out to a grower out in um southern idaho and he was very gracious in having me out and had been applying season after season uh seed applied neonicotinoid um and this season uh made the call not to because he wasn't seeing strong performance of the product and this season he actually ended up replanting three times with the wireworm damage, wow. trying to get a stand established. So I think that it that that just little anecdote just really illustrates that we're dealing with a really damaging pest, and um, we're really excited to bring this new technology to the market because it really is going to be a game changer. What we see is a 70 to 80 percent reduction in the field population with the use of Teraxa. Wow. Yeah, that's that's impressive. And, you know, it's been fun, too, as we've gone away from some of the dangerous type insecticidal seed treatments that used to be used uh, in the previous generation. We we got a lot safer with the neonics, no doubt about it, for, for human safety. But then you look mm-hmm. at the, the insects and what, what's actually happening in the field. Having something new that's actually going to kill these wireworms will make a big difference for farmers everywhere. Talking to Rahia Deardahl-Young with BASF. Thank you so much for joining us today and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much uh, for the invite. I really enjoy uh, your content you put out as well. So really an honor to be here with you today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I don't doubt we'll be speaking more down the road as Teraxa comes out because, Brian, you mentioned, uh, or we, we mentioned the neonics before. They've been so useful with uh, broad-spectrum insects that we're controlling. This buildup of wireworms in some of the reduced till, continuous cereal fields, uh, fields with cover crops. There, there are just a number of situations with the newer practices that we're using that, that have led to a buildup of wireworms out there. Yes, and you know, part of it is I, I want you to think about wheat production in general. There is very little insecticide that's used. And we talk about this all the time in corn and in soybeans. If you are a at least semi-regular user of insecticide, you keep the bug populations down. And you never have, and you rarely have disasters. But the problem is, if you've gone 50 years raising wheat on your farm, you've never used insecticide, well, it's possible that at any point the insect numbers could explode. And that's what we worry about. And it could be wireworms, it could be something else. So it's, and I understand if let's say you're only normally getting 30 or 40 bushels of wheat and you go, boy, I can't afford much. 
Yup, I get that. But the flip side of that is any little thing that goes wrong all of a sudden is a disaster. So if you don't get those wireworms under control, all of a sudden your 30 or 40 goes to 10. And now um, it's a horrific year that hopefully you'll be able to recover from. But, you know, I, I, I know this for us growing up on the farm. This is the one thing our dad told us all the time is he's like, look, the difference between farmers who are successful and those who aren't is the size of their mistakes. If you're making little mistakes here and there, you know, that's the way it goes. If you got 40 acres out of, like, we farm 3,000, 40 acres is a disaster. Who cares? I, I mean, yes, I care, but I'm just saying it's not going to break us. We're not going bankrupt. But we start having a disaster on 1,500 or 2,000 or all 3,000 acres, now we've got a real problem. And occasionally that's what we've seen with this wireworm deal. So insecticides are inexpensive, and yeah, we're excited about this new insecticide, Taraxa. Hopefully that is a step change in wireworm control. We'll talk more about weed seed, tre seed treatments next. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agro-Liquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the end zone fan control system from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The end zone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the end zone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. 
How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Just wrapping up our talk on wheat seed treatments. I guess I would just say this. If you are a wheat producer, and I was I was just talking about this right before the break, I get it that sometimes you go, man, I'm in a low-yield environment, and I, I don't know if I can afford a seed treatment. I, I just always tell people, just like our dad told us, You've got to try new things all the time if you want to get better. We are huge believers in seed treatment in all crops all the time, but you've got to prove it to yourself on your farm. And what we would recommend to you is, number one, multiple fungicides. Number two, insecticide. Those things, especially the fungicide, that's a no-brainer. The the insecticide, I'm usually going to recommend that. Now, if you believe or if you've had prior pressure if you believe you're going to have pressure or if you've had prior incidents with wireworms we'd tell you bump the rate of the neonic or try this new taraxin when it comes out next spring but insecticide can be really important and it's not that expensive anymore the other thing the third component we would throw out here is biologicals or naturals so there are some that we use in wheat and i mean there are a lot of them out there but i would just tell you be trying some of those and it might all sound like snake oil to you but i i can just tell you this we see noticeable differences when we actually track it row to row we'll go out and do root digs we'll do plant tissue analysis we're really analyzing that all the way through and taking it all the way to yield and we have found things that way more than pay for themselves even in low-yield environments. So again, I just encourage you, try these things out on your farm, test them side by side, and most likely in the end, if you do these over the next, let's say, three to five years, you're doing a lot of testing on your farm, you're going to find out, yeah, on average, it's going to pay. Here's one of the reasons why it pays. Because every once in a while, you hit the home run. If you look at almost any seed treatment work done anywhere around the world, it it will be what we as farmers call inconsistent, where one year you gain almost nothing. The next year you gain five bushels and you go, whoa, this is great. Why can't I do this all the time? Because we don't have the same conditions all the time. We don't have the same wheat we're putting it on. We don't have the same soil we're putting it in. And we certainly don't have the same weather and the same disease pressure or insect pressure from year to year. We just don't know. That's the problem with putting stuff out as a seed treatment. You don't know. This could be the worst year ever. It could be the best year ever. But my point is, what we're after here is the average. On average, this stuff has to pay for us on our farms. And that's what I would encourage you to take a look at is, okay, what's the low point? What's the high point? What's kind of your average on your farm? But again, I'll just leave you with this. We're big believers in using seed treatments on all crops all the time. Try some on your farm, if nothing else. All right, let's uh, jump back to the phone line here. We got John calling in from Missouri. Hey, John, how are you doing today? How are you? How are you guys doing? Uh, All right. Um, we got, we got, got, we try to bail straw is what we do. We okay. try to buy it off of, uh, you know, farmers. Yep. And how much nu- nutrients are they losing? Like how much would we have to pay them 
what would be a fair price for them to put the nutrients back into the ground? Now, uh, when you say straw, what kind of straw are we talking about? What wheat, crop is this? Wheat straw. Wheat. Okay. Wheat straw. Wheat straw. All right. So uh, that that is going to vary a lot. And the number one thing I would tell you is if you just take a sample of the wheat and send it in for analysis to a lab, they can grind it up and tell you how much is actually in there, and then you could actually calculate it. And you can you could even go back to the farmers and say, okay, we found there was this much NPK and sulfur in there, and this is what it would cost to replace. But I, I can't tell you without you going to a lab, and here's one of the reasons why I can't. Well, we know what it takes to produce the wheat. We know how much it takes to produce the stover, how much it takes to produce the grain. We never know for sure what's going to be left in that above ground stover in part because of late season rainfall. So I'll put it to you this way. Let's say that uh, as the crop is finishing up, it's uh, it's it's turning yellow or brown, whatever, uh, you know, for maturity. You get a rain on it late season. It's very possible and likely that a bunch of that potassium that's in that residue can already start flushing out. So if you get rain on it, you have less potassium left in the residue, and potassium is typically the number one thing that is left in the residue. So it varies a lot. We did a lot of studies on this back, I'm going to say, 8, 10 years ago when they were talking about corn stalks and taking corn stalks and using those for ethanol. So everybody was wondering, well, what's it cost and everything else? And we just found, man, there is tremendous variance. So I'm not going to give you an answer but I will t- I'm telling you how to find the answer. Just send some in for analysis, and then they'll tell you what's in there percentage-wise, and that way you can figure it out per ton. Okay, you got this many nutrients. Just look at your current cost in your area, and you can figure it out. So let me ask you this. Is there a lot of nutrients going back in when you put the till that back into the ground then? I mean... There can be. And, and so the best case scenario is, let's say, a super healthy, very well-fed wheat crop, and then there's no rain on it late in the season. There could be a bunch of nutrients still sitting in that, that residue. And again, potassium is going to be number one in terms of the total amount that's left in there. So that would be the best case scenario for how many nutrients are in there. The other thing that I'll tell you, if anybody ever says, well, look at uh, the charts and it'll say it took this much to produce the residue. There's got to be that much left in there. No, there's not even close. Because don't ever Uh forget that half the residue in the wheat is below ground. It's in the root system. And there are still nutrients in those roots. So, yeah, the, there's some left in the above ground, but potassium's by far and away number one. Then you got a little bit of phosphorus, a little bit of nitrogen, sulfur, and some of those kind of things. But, again, the more rain there is, the more that stuff flushes out, especially the potassium, and the less there will be left in that straw that gets taken off the field. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, thanks for the call, John. All right, got a question here. This is from Jim. He said, I'd like to ask a question about my corn crop. I can only use rainbird sprinklers. Will this mess up pollination? My corn's all tasseled and has silks. Is now an okay time to irrigate? I also checked my water pH. Thank you for that information, and I turned out good on that. You can absolutely put water on at pollination. It's just you don't want to have let's call it 10 straight days of nonstop irrigation, that would be a problem. But I'm sure that's not what's going to happen because you're going across this, it sounds like to me, with a pivot. So you're going to have 
a little time where there's moisture and whatever you're putting on, half inch, inch, whatever it is, and then many, many hours where that crop gets the chance to dry out and the pollen will be shedding and it'll be just fine. I, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Right, got a question here. This one's from Ben. He said, I'm in northeast Wisconsin. We've got a whole bunch of Italian ryegrass ready to cut for high-quality dairy cow feed. The problem is that we've got rust starting to come into the crop. Now, after we cut and, and get that crop off, we'd like to hit the Italian ryegrass with a fungicide of some sort to stop that rust from hurting us on our next hay crop. Would tebuconazole or cheapazoxystrobin be safe enough to cut 20 or so days later? Well, that's a good question, Ben. First of all, you've got to look at the label to see if they're even labeled to put on Italian ryegrass. Now, like anazoxystrobin, for example, they have wheat, barley, oats, and rye. So is Italian ryegrass the same as rye, Brian? Does that cover all different kinds of rye? I'm not certain of that. But let's just let's just say, for example, that it was. You're using a liberal interpretation of the uh, of the label, but <laughs> you you could probably argue it, and I don't know that anybody's going to check you well, anyway. If you but say go ahead. Wheat does that mean hard red wheat, soft red wheat? You, you get what I'm well, saying. Well, no, There's wheat would be fine. Yeah. Yep. 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 I, I I know where you're going. Okay. But anyway, so what you would do, Ben, is take a look at the label of any fungicide you're considering, like anazoxystrobin for rye, for example. It says, pre-harvest interval, do not apply within seven days of grazing or harvest, seven-day PHI for forage and hay as well. So you've got seven days there. So as long as you got it done uh, seven days at least ahead, you'd be okay theoretically with azoxystrobin. With tebuconazole, though, I don't see rye on the label. So that that is a much better rust product in in my experience, yeah. but I don't see that being labeled. So I would look it, for something that's going to be really good on rust, and then I'd find something with a pre-harvest interval for haying, if that's what you're doing, and or for forage, and just see where you're at. Because some of these will have a 30-day window where you'd have to spray it further in advance. Okay. Uh, now, technically, dear, here again, it's all in how you interpret the label. On tebiconazole, it is going to say grass is grown for seed. So if you're counting that as grass is grown for seed, if you want to make that argument, then yes, you could possibly do that. Do not graze regrowth until 17 days after last application. For example, do not apply Tebicon within four days of harvest. So anyway, we'll get to more of your questions right after this. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty, or Darren Hefty. Uh, I got a tweet from Charles down in Alabama. He said it's hot and dry in southeast Alabama today. 98 degrees and 53% humidity right now. Yeah, that sounds not exactly pleasant down there, Charles. Hopefully, uh, hopefully catch some good moisture and a little bit cooler weather going forward. I also got a little feedback from a little ways further north from Sean up in New York. He called to say that his soil testing lab does do some graphing for them with the samples that they're sending in as long as they're labeling their field. So you may check with the lab that you're sending to and see if they have any graphing capabilities. But like Brian had mentioned before, this is in response to Andrew's question from North Dakota. We we generally just use a spreadsheet program like Excel. Yeah, because most of the labs we found don't graph it over a period of weeks. And I... I will admit, I'm kind of fussy on how I like stuff set up and how I want the look of things to be so I can learn as much as possible. So we just have found the best success just doing it ourselves. It takes just a few minutes to punch the numbers in, and then we can make nice graphs and and see how it is over a period of time. That's probably the biggest thing we always will tell you with tissue sampling. I don't really, quite frankly, care all that much about my tissue test report from one day. What I care about is my tissue test reports over the course of the summer, over 12 consecutive weeks. If I do it every single Monday morning, how did I turn out? How did I look over the 12 weeks? Was there one that was abnormally low? 
or were there 11 that were abnormally low? You see where I'm going with this. If I only have one particular week where, oh, the numbers are not very good, I'm, I'm not nearly as concerned. So, but it, it, it all depends on how does it look over that course of time. And that's where we've kind of learned, Darren and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday, where we farm in the Western Corn Belt, we're dry. We do not get a lot of rainfall. We don't have irrigation. We have granite underneath us, so we can't irrigate. We can't get down to a good, good source of water without pumping it for several miles. So that's not going to work. And so when you can't do irrigation, you are totally dependent on Mother Nature. And if you have lower rainfall totals, like we do, we typically get 20 to 22 inches of rain, or I should say of total precip, that's all 12 months. That even includes the snow. 20 to 22 inches, that's it. And we're trying to raise 300 bushel corn on that. So I'm not going to tell you that it's super easy, but I will tell you this. If you don't have your nutrient levels high in the soil, then you're never going to get there in our geography. The reason why is because, think about this, when, when plants are bringing in nutrients, how do they get those in? Are, are they able to, just like you and me, we can go sit down and eat a steak, we don't have to have a drink of water with that. Okay, now we should, but we don't have to. Well, with plants, it's not that way. They're bringing in most all their nutrients with water. That's the only way they get in is with water. So if you think about it, there's going to be some moisture in the soil, but not much. So we now have to have the concentration of fertilizer in that ground and in that water higher in order to get the proper amount of nutrients into the plants. And we've been able to prove this out over 20 years, like with potassium, for example, that's the nutrient that they, that the plants need most, the most of, and we've got to have those base saturation K levels higher than maybe an area that gets moisture every three days and has sand so they can constantly be pumping that into the plant. We can't do that. We have to have higher levels. Now, when I say higher levels of fertilizer, you may get concerned that, oh my goodness, that's not good for the environment. Yeah, it is. We're not leaching stuff out. I'm not talking about having 8,000 8, pounds of nitrogen out there or sulfur or boron, the leachables. What we're talking about are the non-leachables, the things like P and K and zinc and copper. We've got to have a little bit higher levels than somebody that has constant water in order to get the same yield. Now, the good news is it's not going anywhere. So it's just an investment in your soil for the long term. It, it, you're going to suck it out of there eventually, but you got to put that money out in the beginning. Otherwise, you just can't get where you want to consistently. Okay, let's dive back into another question. This one's from Kurt. He said, I was listening to your radio show here from a week ago, last week. He said, if you're going to do strip till in the fall behind the combine on continuous corn, when do you pull your soil samples to know how to fertilize? Or do you just right run away. a base rate program and adjust your fertility needs in the spring if something shows up? No, we're, we pull soil samples immediately right behind the combine, and then we try to adjust things that fall. Now, there are some people who will pull samples in the spring, and you can certainly do that, and then do it for the fall. But now you've got to figure how much, how many nutrients did I pull off that soil in the meantime? So now you got to start running calculations. 
We just find it's a lot easier. Right after the combine is rolling, then we're out there pulling soil samples. It's not that difficult to do. You can have a high school kid or even a middle school kid go out and pull your soil samples for you. And believe me, there are plenty of young people that would like a good paying job. And I, I, I mean, and you're going to say this is crazy, but literally you could pay them three times what they could possibly earn anywhere else. And you'd still save ridiculous amounts of money on your overall fertility because you got the information right away. So go, I, I, I'm serious, go pay the best three high school kids in your community 30 bucks an hour to pull soil samples for a week on your farm. They'd be tickled pink, so would their parents, and you'd get your information, you'd have good information, and it would be timely. I'm just throwing it out to you. Darren, we had a question from Allie. Do you want yeah, to get to that yeah, one? I'm going to get that one next. Uh, so we got one from Allie in West Central Iowa. Who says, we've been spraying all of our soybean fields with fungicide and some with insecticide. One of our fields is severely cupped due to dicamba drift. They tell me there'll be no yield loss, but I'm wondering, is it still worth spraying a fungicide given that the leaves are cupped? Okay. The first thing that I wanted to comment on is I like the severely hurt, yet no yield loss. So they, this is one of the things for all of us as farmers. We want our crop to look fantastic. And when it doesn't look fantastic, like even for one day, we go, oh my goodness, it's a disaster. This is the end of the world. I hate this. It's terrible. Many times we just have to calm down a little bit. And it's a lot easier for guys like Darren and me, who've been agronomists for 30 years and we've seen just about everything you're going to see. And we go, oh yeah, we've had that exact same thing. The crop works its way out of it. We have sprayed fungicide on crop that's looked way worse than the, the pictures Ali sent us. I mean, way worse and still gotten yield benefit out of it. So just because you have a little leaf cupping, that does not mean that your plant is now tolerant all of a sudden to diseases like white mold, like frog eye leaf spot and many others. So nope, we would encourage you continue to do pretty much what you are normally doing. That that little bit of cupping you've got there is cosmetic. And, and let me throw one other thing out to you too. You said they're telling me no yield loss. I'm telling you, you have a decent chance of yield gain. If you did not shorten those beans, all you had is some light cupping. We very commonly see a little bit of yield gain. So anyway, I could tell more stories about that, but Darren, let's get another question. All right, this one comes from Josh down in Nebraska. He said, is there a reason why Japanese beetles target some bean fields versus others? We'll see one field completely infested and across the road, nothing. Wondering if plant date, variety, and the stage of growth have anything to do with this yep. or if it's just random. I believe that all those things have something to do with it. Now, I don't know exactly what Japanese beetles like to eat, but I'm going to assume that there's something in some varieties where, for whatever reason, they prefer that. Now, certainly, wherever they land, that's, that's number one. It's location, 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 right? Just like real estate. But nevertheless... Yeah, sometimes they prefer a vari one variety over the other. So, yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know if there's something in the variety. I don't know if it's just when you plant it. I don't know if it's your fertility program. I don't know if it's maybe the weeds that were in, in your field that drew the, the bugs to it. I don't know exactly why, but I do know we see exactly what you're talking about. 
Yeah, we sure do. We, we're seeing some differences out there this year. And when you look at that, all of those factors, you do have to think about it and, and look. The other thing is just previous history. And we've got some fields. Like we were talking about wireworms in wheat seed treatments earlier today, wireworm control. And we look at fields where growers have been using insecticide in a number of different crops. They just don't have near the pressure in those fields as they do in fields where they haven't used insecticide. And we even see this in corn. If you've been using an insecticide in furrow, for example, even at a low rate for a number of years versus just using a trait for rootworm control, for example, we may see a complete difference in pressure with some of the other insects that aren't covered by that trait package. So yeah, there, there are a lot of things that can, can definitely make a difference out there. Thanks for the question, Josh. Thanks for listening today to our program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.